Want a fresh take on what's going on with the Saints, LSU, the betting world, and the NFL? Then you've picked the right place. Jim Derry has plenty of datitude, and he's ready to tell you the way it is. Well, the way he thinks it is. Where you at, New Orleans? We all got the Monday blues. Hello to my friends listening elsewhere, whether it be in New York, New York, Auburn, Alabama, or wherever else you listen, we still say hello, because that's the kind of people we are. And we say welcome to Datitude, episode number five, a special Monday edition for October the 4th. 2021, I am Jim Derry, sports betting writer at the New Orleans Havoc at the Times-Picayune and bet.nola.com. And um, we just wanted to have a special edition for today because, to me, what happened this weekend was worthy of two shows to harp on it. And we can't do it all in one podcast. Well, we could, but we're not. Um, So I thought it was important to have a... We needed someone to help talk us off the ledge, right? Who better to do that than the eternal optimist, Jeff Duncan, columnist here at the Times-Picayune and NOLA.com. And um, Jeff always has an interesting take. Uh, he has a way of, put it this way, if he thinks it's bad, it's bad. It's really bad. So I am very interested to hear what he has to say. We'll have him coming up in just, uh, just a couple minutes, really. It's going to be a quick intro. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, Because this show is really all about the interview with Duncan. Um, I will give you my take in just a moment. Um, But this is really about what Jeff Duncan has to say. So I'm going to give you a little bit more of my perspective tomorrow. But what I will say about yesterday is I've gotten, you know, I've been critical. And I I hate to keep bringing up Jameis Winston, but Jameis Winston, it, 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 it's not all about Jameis Winston, okay? This whole season is not about Jameis Winston. The, the, what I've been reading on social media is getting a little bit on the side of absurd, okay? I've been calling for the last 10 years or so, or probably a little longer than that, since before, I'd say 15 years. Let's call it 15 years since Peyton's been here. I like to call the people who climbed out of the woodwork, the boxes, the the people who went to the malls on Sunday afternoons before the Saints were any good, I call them nudats. They're not hoodats, they're nudats. Okay? They didn't care about the Saints till they were good. And when the Saints went 7-9 and nine for three years, they went climbed back into that same box, went back into their closet. They're not real fans. Okay? I don't care if you had season tickets for the last 15 or 20 years. Um, if you climbed out of a box and you don't go to the games when they're not any good and you give your tickets away... Um, or you or you watch every Sunday when they have a winning record, and when you think they stink, you don't watch. You're a new dad, okay? That that's just the way that it is. Um, if you've been a fan since you were a kid, you watch every game. You watched when they were 0 and 14. You watched when they were 1 and 15, and they beat the Jets, and you were like crying because you were so happy. If you're that old enough to remember that back in 1980, uh, if you broke down in tears when when Archie Manning got traded or Mike Lansford kicked the winning field goal, um, then you're a hoodat. If you're and if you're a younger person and you watch through the seven and nine years, every game you watch from start to finish, you're a hoodat. If you have season tickets 
and you go religiously every week, whether they're terrible or average or great, you're a hoot at. But if you climb out of the box and you give tickets away when they stink, um, and all you want to talk about right now is how bad Jameis Winston is, you're a new dad, you're not a real fan. Yesterday had nothing to do with Jameis Winston. Zero. Jameis Winston, I thought, and I don't care what the stats say, the people who love Jameis will say, well, he threw five touchdowns in the first game, and the people who hate him will say, well, he stinks regardless no matter what he does. I thought he played his best game yesterday as a Saint. I really do. I mean, I don't know what the – I didn't even look at the rating compared to this week compared to the first week. I know it was, I think he was like 110 this week, which is very good. And I'll look it up in a minute before we talk to Duncan. But I thought that Jameis Winston was very good yesterday. I wouldn't call it outstanding, but I thought he was very good and he had nothing to do with the reason why the Saints lost. The Saints lost because the coaching was horrendous and the defense fell apart in the fourth quarter and couldn't figure out how to make a tackle, had horrible uh, angles on tackles, and turned Danny Dimes into, uh, I don't know, looked a lot like, well, they needed Eli Manning back, right? So he looked a lot like Eli Manning yesterday, at least in the second half. He had 116 yards, I believe, at, at halftime and finished with over 400 yards. That's insane. And that is, has nothing to do with Jameis Winston. <clears throat> Jameis Winston didn't make the call to review a play that even if they were successful, which is clearly they wouldn't have been successful, you take the chance on losing a timeout and did lose a timeout on a play that if you're successful, it's now third and a foot that they're probably going to get it anyway. Jameis Winston didn't decide to send out Aldrick Rosas for a 58-yard field goal attempt when he has trouble making extra points. That turned the whole game around, in my opinion, when he missed and Giants had a short field and scored a touchdown and their whole demeanor changed. Jameis Winston didn't do that. Jameis Winston didn't decide that after... The Saints throw a long bomb that's successful for a touchdown. It gets called back because of a holding penalty. You bring in Taysom Hill. Now the Giants are on their heels and waiting for the long pass, even if it is Taysom Hill. You just got burned on a long pass. They're not going to get burned twice in a row, but you decide to throw it in anyway, throw that pass anyway, or call that play, <coughs> excuse me, with a guy that's thrown what? Two passes this year. Awful day. And I look, Sean Payton, obviously fantastic coach. Dennis Allen, obviously fantastic defensive coordinator. But they had as bad a day yesterday as maybe they've ever had. Frankly, they were terrible. I mean, I don't give a lot of F's and I don't give a lot of A's. When I come, when, if I had the grade. But the coaching staff would get an F yesterday. They were terrible. There was, um, I, you come home in the Dome, and I'll talk about this again with Duncan in just a moment, but you come home to the Dome, and you basically don't let the crowd get all fired up in, in the second half. I mean, the first half, great. You're 
excited, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You play excited. Second half, eh, whatever. We're going to win this game, eh, whatever. That's what it felt like in the second half, eh, whatever. You're not going to just win the game. Doesn't work that way in the NFL. So we'll get to that. Uh, you can reach me at jderry at theadvocate.com and on Twitter at Jim Derry Jr. You can listen to this podcast, as, I sure, as I'm sure you are now, multiple places right here at bet.nola.com, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Apple Podcast, and wherever else you get your podcast. Make sure you're subscribed. I'm a little verklempt this morning, I see. I want to give a shout-out to Caesar Sportsbook, who's an exclusive partner with us at The Advocate of the Times, speaking at bet.nola.com. Videos on bet.nola.com. Uh, in fact, I'm about to record odds and ends on Mondays, every Monday with Zach Ewing. And I think Devin Jackson's on today. Fantasy Roundup with Zach, Zach and Spencer, the guru, Urquhart. And at the book on Thursdays featuring cashing in with Carvel, uh, Zach, Devin, and Jackson, and myself. We all talk about the week that is coming, but we're still talking about the week that was. So, oh, it's just tough. It was just really, really tough. So, Let's get into the interview with Duncan, and um, I just recorded it. I, in fact, I went straight from recording it to to coming on and chatting here. And I was a little bit more upset yesterday uh, afternoon than I am today. I've kind of, as m- most of the time I do, but I just, you know, th- after thinking over it, and I usually go back and watch the game before I do the podcast, but I couldn't. I, I did, just didn't. It, it still burned in my brain some of the the big plays and and things and Duncan has an excellent take on that so we'll get to him and uh, hear what he has to say and we'll do it right now and then when we when we're done with Duncan we'll fill you in who is coming on the show on Tuesday here it is Jeff Duncan here on the Datitude podcast with Times Picayune columnist Jeff Duncan and I brought on Dunk on this special Monday edition because if anyone can talk us off the ledge it is Mr. Duncan. When I need optimism, I call Jeff Duncan, and here he is. Dunk, what's up? JD, uh, yeah, look, a lot of people in town probably feeling the same way. So, uh, you know, I think the disappointment of losing that game, finally getting a home game with the crowd and getting the big lead, and then the way it kind of slipped out of everybody's out of the team's grasp, I understand why people are, are a little shell-shocked. Uh, not used to seeing that kind of uh, game slip away from them, especially against a winless team. But, uh, you know, the, the Giants were desperate. I, I thought they – I just watched the game again. I thought they played really well, you know, especially offensively. I thought Daniel Jones was tremendous. So there were some things that um, that I saw that, you know, kind of made me feel a little better about the Saints after watching it. But, uh, man, it's the NFL, and, and the team got hot at the right time, and – and, and wrapped it up when the Saints uh, really kind of let it slip away. I, I think the Saints probably had a chance to put them away earlier and didn't take advantage of some opportunities. You know, for me, the, the sad part about it all is, and we'll get to a couple of comments on social media. I'm not going to delve too far into to, to this. I, I asked for a response, and the responses that I got were kind of silly. But, um, you know, it's it's a shame in a way to me. I thought Jameis Winston played his best game as a Saint, including the Green Bay game. I thought he was he made great decisions. Um, <clears throat> I thought his accuracy was a lot better. I thought he was able to flush himself out of the pocket when he needed to. Um, and 
I just don't understand what the concept was. And, you know, they go deep a couple of times and, and, and we're successful. But then, you know, you get the penalty on the, on the play that Jameis throws the touchdown pass. You get the penalty. You bring in Taysom and you go back basically the same play and the Giants were ready for it. I thought the coaching was – it was one of Sean Payton's worst efforts. And I, I think he's, he's clearly the best coach, even better than Jim Moore. He's clearly the best coach in Saints history. And maybe one of the one or two or three best right now. But I thought just the game plan and the, the execution during the game and the decisions he made, I thought weren't very good yesterday. Well, I felt like he was kind of out thinking himself a little bit a few times, which he's prone to do. Yeah. And certainly the, the lack of confidence in his field goal kicker right now is messing with his head. And he made a couple of dubious decisions there. I don't know what happened. I was watching a replay. I still don't know what happened. I'm sure he got uh, when he challenged the the spot Silly. in the second down play. Seemed needless to me, but 100%. the way the process works for them, they have a coach up in the booth uh, who's watching, who's kind of the replay assistant, and he messages down and tells Sean challenge it. So he's getting that from somebody else. Now he can overrule it. Obviously, he's the head coach, but that he probably felt so confident by what he was being told by the guy that saw the replay. That's why he did it. Uh, now, the other thing I don't understand just watching the replay was the, the delay of game they took. They were out of timeouts. That was a, a consequential play, and I, I don't even know what happened. I was watching – it's hard to see from the broadcast tape, but it looked like Peyton got the play in uh, with about 15 seconds, and I don't know if it took Winston some time to get the place – Bit out in the huddle or why, but they broke the huddle with about four seconds and they had no chance. So I don't know what happened there, but that was a, a huge play. All of a sudden they had second and 14 and, and they can't, can't convert and they have to give the ball back to the Giants. So yeah, there were some weird play things that happened. And the more I watched the JD, the more it wasn't one thing. I think everybody wants something easy, black and white to blame a loss like that. And it really wasn't one thing. It was just a bunch of things that added up, you know, defense all of a sudden, uh, Paulson Adebo was getting picked on and they couldn't stop that momentum. The offense couldn't, uh, like I said, they weren't very efficient. And, and I guess the overarching thing I would say that a lot of Saints fans I think are struggling with right now with the offense, I just feel like it's taken a little while here for Sean Payton to figure out his quarterback. I think we've got a learning curve going on and they're getting a feel for each other and it, I, in some ways, it's probably not a lot different than what Drew Brees went through back in 2006. It's just been so long ago, we don't remember it. But if you remember those first few games, I mean, the Saints offense wasn't dominant in 2006. It took them a while, but they were winning games anyway. I feel like that's what's going on right now is, is Sean Payton's getting a feel for what Winston likes, what he's confident in, and vice versa. And it's just going to take a little while. Maybe the difference is, and I'm not taking anything away from, from Jameis because he's getting way too much more, and including from me in the beginning. He's getting way too much uh, blame for things than he deserves. Way, way, way too much. But at, the difference is, I think, when Drew Brees came in here, you felt like Drew Brees was the franchise quarterback. You didn't know he would become what he became. No one could guess that. Um, but... We, I think we all felt like Drew Brees was going to be the quarterback of the future. I don't know that you can possibly feel that Jameis Winston is the future for this team. 
Uh, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. I don't think the Saints know that. I mean, there's a reason they only gave him a one-year deal, right? Uh, there's a reason Taysom Hill, his contract will be up after this year too. So uh, they're definitely in, in a transition period here, hoping one of these guys, and obviously Jameis Winston's the starter, but I think they could be back in the quarterback market again next year. Uh, there's just some subtle things that I think Jameis needs to get better at, and I think he admitted he did – take a lot of responsibility after the game. There's some small things to quarterback play that I think are nuanced that, that sometimes general fan, the reporter, you know, us us in the media uh, that we all took for granted with Drew Brees, you know, the ability to slide away from pressure or to climb the pocket and give his tackles some help. Jameis isn't great at that. And so sometimes when you see pressure, Everybody wants to snap judgment and blame the offensive line or the pass protection. You know, sometimes you got to give your offensive line some help. And I don't feel right now he's doing a very good job of that. So the snap judgment is, oh, he got pressure. You know, the line's got to block better. Well, Drew Brees probably wouldn't even had that pressure because he would have climbed the pocket, bought some more time, found somebody downfield. These little subtle things, I think, uh, we're going to all learn that we took for granted with Drew Brees. I mean, he's one of all-time greats, and I'm sure this is exactly what New England fans went through uh, last year with Cam Newton replacing Tom Brady and, and going through with rookie quarterback this year. Yeah, and you look at his numbers from yesterday, and again, uh, people give him grief, but I'm going to take up for him today. Jameis Winston, 17 of 23 for 226 yards and a touchdown, no interceptions. He was not sacked, and his rating was 119, which is pretty good. Um but you just don't – you don't have a feel. This yo-yo thing that we were talking about – that we were talking about yesterday on, on the air during the game, and I know you didn't hear the broadcast, but I'm sure you know about it, all the yo-yos. Uh, how, how does this team get out of that thing where they play fantastic one week and then the next week they lay an egg? And really, for about two and a half to three quarters yesterday, they – I thought they played a pretty good ball game. Then all of a sudden, everything fell apart. How do you how do you avoid that? Yeah, well, I think that just comes down to focus, right? I mean, it felt like they lost their focus once they got that 11-point lead. They felt like uh, they were going to put the Giants away. You mentioned the penalty that called back the long touchdown. Uh, all of a sudden, just a momentary blink by Marshawn Lattimore allows Saquon Barkley to get behind him. And all, you know, all of a sudden it's off to the races and that, that ignited their sideline. You could just see the body language in the giants change after they got that quick score, they got the two point conversion and they had the momentum and they took advantage of it. The saints really never could seize it back. It reminded me of a game. I'm going to go way back on you, Jim. Way back when Hazlitt was coaching, the Saints played an awful Bengals team toward the end of the season. I think it was 2002. All they needed to do was win one game to get in the playoffs. One out of three. They lost. Yeah, they lost all four, I think, or something like that. And the Bengals, I think, had won one game the whole year. They were awful. They were playing out the string. And it was similar to what happened yesterday in that and Sean Payton talked about it. You let a team hang around. You don't put them away, especially a losing team. Uh, you give them a, a reason to believe, and that's exactly kind of what happened in that Bengals game. I remember there was a third and, I don't know, like nine or something, and they threw a ball out in the flat, and Peter Warwick, remember the old Florida State receiver? Yes, he made this incredible sideline catch. It looked like it might get picked off by the Saints. 
he catches it right along the Bengals' sideline, gets this big first down on a third and long, and that ignited their sideline. And the Saints had kind of let them hang within about nine points in that game, too. It was very similar. And then they got the momentum and just steamrolled the Saints after that one play. And that's what it felt like yesterday when Saquon Barkley made the play. All of a sudden, they got energized, and the Saints really were on their heels. And I, I just didn't think the defense showed much energy down the stretch. I know they've been on the field a while, but they weren't getting any pass rush uh, at all. And no. uh, that was surprising to me because I know the Saints have a really good defensive front seven, but also the Giants' front line. I mean, I was out with New York Giants riders all weekend, and that's all they talked about was how bad the Giants' offensive line had played, and it didn't look that way on Sunday. I don't want to digress for too long, but I have this segment that I've been running called Let's Get Personal to say a little something about myself so people can know who their host is. And so you brought up something that actually um, – you asked me if I remember that game, and I'll tell you why I remember it is because I was on my honeymoon with my first wife, and um, we were in Disney World. And the day after our wedding, they played the Vikings, and it was the game where Dante Culpepper uh, messed up the two point snap and then gets the conversion, uh, and the Saints lose. Um, and then, like you said, they only had to win one of their last three games to go to the playoffs. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so I'm in, we're in Disney World, and I'm, I said, I, let's really watch this game. She goes, I'll just take a nap. You can go to the sports bar and watch it. And so me wearing a Saints jersey, I think, or a Saints shirt or whatever, uh, I was in there with some other Bengals fans, of all things. And, uh, you know, they, they said, you're going to win, whatever. We're going to get our tails kicked. And that's how I – so I think God was punishing me for spending – my the day after my wedding, we couldn't go on the honeymoon until Monday because I had to go to the game, and then we're in Disney World, and of, I'm on my honeymoon, and I've got to go see this game. So I think God was kicking me a little bit for, for that. So yeah, I remember that game very well, uh, and I remember the end of that season very well. So that's the that's my digression on that. But um, little gridiron karma. Probably yeah, right. It, it comes I, back at everyone. You knew the Saints didn't know that, that, that you were the cause of their loss. Yeah, well, I didn't uh, want to tell them. All the way down in Florida. You know how Jim Haslett reacts to things like that. So we can tell. It's been 19 years, so that's okay. We can tell them now. Um, yeah, look. that was a brutal time, man. It was a, that, was, that was easily the worst part of that Haslett era, that, that sequence, I think. That was a lot like, um, I think it was 84 83 or 84, when when uh, the Saints just needed to win against the Rams and they go to the playoffs for the first time in team history and Mike Lansford with his bare foot that I still want to take and, you know, <laughs> pound a little bit, uh, kicks the field goal and the Saints miss out in the playoffs and they finish 8-8 eight and, eight and, you know, first winning season. It's hard to believe that 16, 17 years into the franchise history, they had never had a winning season and they had never – uh, going to the playoffs, but that was the case, and they didn't go that year either. And it, it would take another uh, four more seasons before they would finally get there. So that was the good old days. Which which kind of leads me to my next question: Saints fans are spoiled, Dunk. Um, you know, winning forty nine games over three seasons, and you just think throughout the course of the Sean Payton era, and really besides that little blip of stretch of seven and nine seasons that they had, I mean this. And I know it's only one Super Bowl, but if for, for guys my age, 
you go back, and this is the things that kind of calmed me down. I was pretty ticked off yesterday, but I'm, I'm a little bit better today. But you think about the old days and all that, that Saints fans went through, and it took 20 years to even have a winning season. And now, and, and you should expect good things. But to have a day like you have yesterday, and this is a team in transition, and anyone who expects this team to go to the Super Bowl this year, you need to get a, catch yourself and get a reality grip, okay? And I think that's what yesterday kind of was, a little reality check. But it's easy to get spoiled when you got a coaching staff like you have here and the talent that they keep bringing in, isn't it? Yeah, no, and I think – it's also important to realize, I mean, the other team gets paid and they've got good players. And, and I just was thinking about it yesterday as I watched the replay. I mean, today when I was watching the replay, I think the Giants have better skill players than the Saints do. You know, I mean, they just, Kadarius Tony, Saquon Barkley, they didn't even have Sterling Shepard in that game. John Ross. And they have, uh, yeah, Eric Ingram and uh, Kenny Galladay. The Saints don't have those guys running around on their offense. So, uh, you know, those guys made some big time plays and Daniel Jones is a good player. I, I distinctly remember being at a Saints Bengals game a few years ago. If you remember, it was when the Saints just destroyed the Bengals. I think it was like 51 to something game was over in the third quarter. But talking to Jeff Ireland before the draft, I mean, before the game, and he was raving over Daniel Jones. He thought he was the best quarterback in that whole draft. And I've got great respect for, for Jeff Ireland's talent evaluation skills and I watched him yesterday, and I kept thinking about what Jeff Ireland said. I mean, this is a guy who's an NFL quarterback. I mean, a big-time franchise player. He can run. He can throw. Um, and and you just see his quarterback play. And uh, and I'm with you. I don't think Jameis Winston played poorly at all. I think he played pretty well. But, uh, you know, in key situations, he couldn't make that that one big key play that Daniel Jones made. I mean, there were, there were a couple of them yesterday where I think they had a second and 14. They had a a third and seven, maybe a, a second or third and nine, and, they, and he converted them every time. Those are the key plays. That's what the Saints have to get out of Jameis Winston. They, had, you know, it's one thing to throw the 50-yard bomb. Everybody sees that. They need him on third down uh, in the red zone. And so far, they've been good in the red zone. That's one thing they've been very good at, mostly because Taysom Hill, you know, is running that power play very well. But they're going to need him in big games to make those key throws to convert and move the chains and dispirit the defense a little bit. We haven't seen enough of that so far. The thing, one of the things to me though, is I don't think people are, there are so many people that are just quick to, to get on Winston and yep. look when, when he deserves it, I'm going to say, I think he deserves it, but what, ha, what, look, I love Dennis Allen. I think Dennis Allen, Again, and I'm not just blowing smoke. I've said it last week. I've said it for actually a couple of years now. I think Dennis Allen, if he's not the best defensive coordinator in the NFL, he's certainly one of the top two or three to transform this defense from being perennial 31st and 32nd ranked defenses into what they are now. And they're a lot like the defense that they had back in the Super Bowl era, uh, Super Bowl season. But that being said, along with Sean Payton, I thought the defense – the defensive play calling, the defensive schemes in the second half of that game yesterday were atrocious. They couldn't make tackles. They had horrible angles on, on tackles. Saquon Barkley looked like he was still hurt in the first half. In the second half, he looked like the Saquon Barkley. That was the number one pick coming out of Penn State. And Daniel Jones, who I agree with you, I think he's a good quarterback, and I think he's going to be in this league for a long time. 
but you don't throw for 112 yards in the or 116 yards in the first half and then throw for 300 yards in the second in the second half and in the one drive in overtime so something happened and they didn't come out with fire and they didn't play the same way that they played in games one and three and game two i'll just throw out because of all the injuries they had and the coaches with COVID and all that we can throw that one out but yesterday was you know a different team well you, yeah you give up 402 yards to daniel jones i mean that's a career high he didn't never even been really close to that that's unacceptable so, i mean yeah no that's a lot of yards yeah and they didn't even have their, their leading receiver in the game so look i think a lot of things added up i don't think it was the best coaching job sean payton's had i think we agree on that uh, I just think there was just a, he has that phrase. I used it today on Twitter, you know, with a lot of dirty hands. I felt like that came into play. They also, I think they, I think they've got a decision to make at corner with Paulson Adebo. I mean, they brought in Bradley Roby. They traded for him. Uh, he's a starting corner in the league and they've kept Adebo out there, but he got picked on down the stretch. I mean, every big situation, they went right at him and converted. And I think he might have a little bit of a crisis of confidence after that game. What do they do? What does coaching staff do? Do they go with Roby? They keep a Debo out there. They got to get Davenport back. He's their best pass rusher. They just, they're not generating enough pass rush. I think they got six sacks on the season. I think they got four of them in one game. So they've got to get a little more pressure. Onyemata will help, certainly. Onyemata is their best defensive lineman. I mean, he's the best all-around defensive lineman they have. So those guys are going to help. They're going to they're gonna get these reinforcements in there. Quan Alexander. Uh, and I didn't think... C.J. Gardner-Johnson was his usual playmaking self yesterday. He He's the energy guy there. I don't know. I can't remember him making a play in the game. That's very rare. He's usually all over the place. And, um, yeah, I just didn't feel like they they had the energy, like you said, that they did in week one and three. And it doesn't – when you talk about not getting sacks, <clears throat> excuse me, it doesn't get any easier next week when you face a Washington team that has a, 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 a dynamic – don't take dynamic the wrong way. I don't mean he's going to be like some great thing because I'm not sure about that. But Tyler Taylor Henneke, yes. he, he he gets sacked just once yesterday, and again they play Atlanta. But he's a guy who finds ways to make things happen, and he found a way to make things happen yesterday against Atlanta, driving down the field, and he's got a fantastic receiver in Terry McLaurin. I don't. We don't know if Logan Thomas. He he went out of that game yesterday, so we don't know if he's going to play. But it doesn't get any easier next week. And to me, Washington's defense has been missing, but they, they have a great front line, obviously. And that scares me when you're talking about a pass rusher that Jameis hasn't been able to, you know, if there's one thing we talked about that has affected him is when he gets a rush in his face, how does he handle it? So it doesn't get easier next week. No, and, and you got to go on the road. The Saints have played well on the road, but – uh, Washington, I think, is going to be uplifted after that win. I don't know what's going on with their defense. They have not played well. That was supposed to be the strength of their team. But Henneke is a mobile guy. You know, he gets out of the pocket a lot like Jones. He's not necessarily a dynamic runner, but he can he can elude pressure and buy time with his legs. And Jones did that a few times yesterday as well. So I, th- I think the defense is going to have to play, and I think they will play a lot better. I think they may do some tweaking in the secondary. I didn't think um, – Marcus Williams or Mal- Malcolm Jenkins played very well yesterday. I mean, Malcolm Jenkins had an egregious missed tackle. Yeah, I thought he was on awful. Holiday. He was yeah, awful. I mean, you, you got to make that tackle. You can't let him 
you break that tackle and, and run 20 more yards and get down the field goal range. So they had some just uncharacteristic plays from this defense that we hadn't seen so far. Uh, and I agree with you. I think this Washington game, I, I said all along early in the season, JD, they just need to be three and no worse than three and two at the bye week. And so they still got that opportunity. The games have kind of came in different ways. I mean, at the wins and losses, I think people, if they were being honest, wouldn't have picked the wins and losses right. the way they played out. But still, the end result is if you get to three and two, you start getting Mike Thomas back and Onyemata and Will Lutz and some of these key players. Uh, I think you can feel good about your chances uh, in the middle portion of the schedule. Were you surprised yesterday? I thought that with the Dome being back and loud, um, I thought there would be more fire in this team. Um, whether you, whether How you play later on is, is another story, but they never seemed to come out fired up. They never played fired up. I thought Kamara was okay in the beginning. Then they uh, completely abandoned the running game again in my opinion except for Taysom power when they score the touchdown that's great but i just don't and i know tony jones went down so they you know you're you're getting thin there and dwayne washington whatever but i just don't understand the coaching staff didn't seem to be fired up about it the players didn't seem to be fired up about it the crowd was the only thing that was fired up and, and it just it, it kind of boggles the mind you think that after all this time you finally get home, and I know they talked about it all week long, but just kind of nothing. Well, I, I would disagree to some degree. I, I thought they came out fired up. I mean, they were energized early on, coming out for pregame introductions. Uh, the defense was juiced. Uh, they came out, forced a three and out right away, made a big tackle on the opening kickoff. I remember Chris Hogan, you know, flexing yeah, in the end yeah, zone. I mean, for I sure, could, yeah. Yeah, I can see them jacked up, but then as that game goes on, I mean, that's just the way the NFL is. It all of a sudden, you know, you're in a battle of attrition and and you're trying to hang in there. And I think they Peyton made the point yesterday, which I didn't really necessarily see during the game, but I saw a little bit of it uh, and watching the replay that the defense kind of got tired and it sapped their legs. So maybe that's where that rotation JD comes into play, where you don't have Onyemata, you don't have Davenport, you're missing some guys. All of a sudden old legs like Cam Jordan, you know, he's getting up there. Uh, you know, maybe they don't have the juice to rush the passer after basically being in two-minute mode the whole whole fourth quarter. Uh, and, and I thought they ran the ball fairly well, but also think this is where all these things kind of we're talking about the dirty hands, right? right. You're missing Arm, Armstead. You know, you're missing McCoy. Those are two of your best offensive linemen. And, and the other guys, you know, they play okay, but they're not quite as dominant. And so those things all kind of add up. And if you need that big third down run, you don't have the push late in the game uh, when they needed it on that on that power play from Taysom Hill. They really got stonewalled on that play. It was a big play. It was third and two. Could extend that drive and, and maybe take a little more time off the clock. But you you talk about being tired though, but the the time of possession. And granted, they had a they had a ten minute lead at halftime, so it's a little skewed. But it, it finishes with a 10 minute lead. So they were on the field the same amount of time as the giants in the second half. And so there's no excuse for being tired. In my opinion, I, I get what you're saying, but um, you know, it just, I guess what worries me is if you're a saints fan and I would imagine most of the people listening to this thing are, if you're a saints fan, the, the up one down, down one, one week, this yo-yo thing that they talk about. I mean, that's what they are. I mean, 
And, and now they show that they they can be yo-yo in, in one game. I mean, they can look like a, a fantastic team in the first half and, and, and dominating, in my, my opinion, and holding Jones to 112 yards, 116 yards, and holding Saquon to just a handful of yards. And then the second half looked like a different team. And that's not a kind of team to me that wins championships or really even gets beyond maybe a first week of a playoffs. They look like the well, Bears from last year. I, I feel a little, little more positive about it. I know that doesn't surprise you, but I feel like this is kind of the league right now. I mean, just look around. There's a lot of two and two teams. Uh, you know, the Rams beat the Bucks last week, and then they come out and kind of lay an egg. They really were lifeless against the Cardinals. I mean, the Cardinals have been a surprisingly good team. Uh, so I think if you're looking for optimism, one thing I've written about in the past that I think is something of, a, of an indicator of this coaching staff and, and the leadership in the locker room, this, this team historically in October and November is lights out. I mean, they have the best record in the NFL, I think, the last decade because they finally, you know, each year they make the adjustments, they, they make the tweaks, they figure out what this team's bread and butter is, what, what this one individual team needs. And those tweaks and adjustments occur usually in the second and third months of the season once you know what you got. And so I think there's reason for optimism. The track record speaks for itself that this coaching staff will figure it out and sort of start honing in on, on kind of covering up some of the weaknesses that we saw yesterday. So you're, you're saying for the Saints fans that are about to dive off the ledge and give up this team and the, and the people that I call new dads who, like, they're only around when the Saints are doing well, uh, back when the Saints were terrible before – before Jim Mora got here, and then they disappeared again, and they came back. Um, you're telling those people, don't go back to the shopping malls yet. It's There's still hope for this team. Very much so. I, I feel like the line that Peyton uses all the time, the old Bill Parcells line, every weekend's either a crisis or a carnival. I think it applies more in Louisiana than anywhere else because I think people here are just so passionate. I mean, we're into football here like nowhere else in the country. And I feel like the highs are higher than anywhere else and the lows are lower. And that's what makes it an incredible place to live, especially do what you and I do, work in uh, you know, sports writing and cover these games. But, man, when teams lose, it is something of a crisis. And I, I can sense it around town today that uh, people, people didn't expect that. No one did, especially when you're up 11 points in the fourth quarter at home uh, against a team that won a game all year. So – uh, but I do think if there's optimism to be had, this is a good coaching staff, very good, and you're going to get a lot of key players back here over the next few weeks. And uh, the schedule does toughen, but I think they're going to be in a lot of these tight games, and a field goal kicker like Will Lutz can make a difference. And right now uh, they got to get that situation corrected too because I think it, it messed with Peyton's head so much that he was making some really boneheaded decisions on fourth down. Why in the world – I mean, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. We already talked about what we think about the coaching from yesterday. But why in the world would you try a 58-yard field goal? I mean, I don't think you would try that with Will Lutz, much less with a guy that has struggled as much as he has since he's since he got in here. You pass up the 58-yard field goal the first time, you know, you had the chance to do it. And so then you do try it, and it leads to a Giants touchdown. Well, 
he was making them that far in pregame because I was down on the field watching him. That's the one thing Roses does have. He's got a cannon leg. Now, it might not be the most accurate leg in the world, but right. he can get it there. I mean, he got it there. He just missed it. But I'm with you. It didn't but make the sense risk, why you the passed. risk reward, the risk re- reward right there, right. It, you know, you make it great. You get three points. That's fantastic. Um, but to me, the risk of you, you got to count on your defense there. And to me, that was kind of a little bit of a momentum swing. Um, I think cha- things changed that after that missed miss kick and the Giants felt a little bit different about themselves when they went down there and scored. And to me, that was one of the major turning points. Yeah, I think I think at that point, though, J.D., you got. I mean, that that Giants offense had scored 10 points. And one of them was on a, you know, a, a lightning strike, 50, 50 yard big play. You're, you're having confidence in your defense to stop them. You're not expecting them to come out and just give that quick play up. Right. And uh, especially from one of your best players, uh, that was, that was when it changed. You're right. I mean, that momentum switch very quickly turned around. Also, you know, it was a momentum change when they, when they got the touchdown call back on the penalty yeah. where Chris Hogan's having to block a defensive end a very good defensive end. Uh, that, that's not great protection. So that's some of the things I noticed in that when Sean Payton was talking about some of the protection issues in that Panthers game, it's, it's the plan going into the game. Who do you have blocking who? What are you asking of your players uh, so they can be successful? And having Chris Hogan come over and have to wall off <laughs> an athletic defensive end that's bigger than him, uh, that you end up with a holding call and you lose a touchdown. So that that's what I'm talking about, all the dirty hands. That everyone's going to blame the receiver, but really he's being put in a very difficult position there, one that he's not, probably not going to be successful in. Well, and then the next play you throw the pick because you, you, you're so cocky that you think we're just going to do it again and you do it with Taysom. I mean, A, the play shouldn't have been called again right after that, and B, uh, Taysom should have never thrown the ball, but that's neither. Got to get it out quicker, yeah. yeah Got to get mean, that thing out, let him run under it. And and the way the reason they do Taysom, it worked. If you remember in that Vikings playoff game a few years ago, I wrote about it in the Peyton Breeze book, uh, and, and Sean went through that play line by line in the in the in the um, interview with me. It, the reason they use him in there to throw that ball is because they get a different defensive look, and on that play. They had it well covered, so I think he was throwing it and giving his receiver a chance, but the reason they do that with him and not Jameis is they probably get a different defense with Jameis in there than they do with Taysom, and they thought they could get him one-on-one, but he's got to get rid of that ball quicker and get it out there. Uh, That was just a poor, poor throw. Well, I 100% think they should do that play more. Um, Certainly. In fact, they should do that at least once a game or whatever because they – the defenses think that Taysom is going to run 98% of the time and he should run right. really more like 75 or 80% of the time. However, my problem was you just did it. So they're going to be on their heels and ready for it. No matter who's in the game, you could have put, you know, you could have brought back Archie Manning at 70 years old to come do it. And they still would have been waiting for a long pass. I mean, they were ready for that clearly. And that, that was just, you do that play later on. I mean, if you want to run that play again, do it later. But anyway, that's why I'm sitting here. I'm not a coach. Um, I say that all the time. It's easy to, um, for us uh, as columnists at time, we can say whatever we want. And it's like being a weatherman. You don't have to be right. I mean, and nobody will ever know if we're right or not. It doesn't make a difference. So um, I, real real quick, I do want to talk about, you, you touched on it, the upcoming schedule. You know, 
to me, and, and I hate saying using the label must win early in the season, but if you want to be successful this season, if you want to have a 10 or 11 win season that's going to get you to the playoffs, I mean, to me, you have to win this game. You have to beat Washington. You're going to have your bye week, but then it's Seattle, Tampa Bay, Atlanta, and the Titans. And, you know, you can skip over the Eagles if you want, but then Buffalo and Dallas. So you're talking about an insane stretch of games that you don't know what's going to happen. To me, you've got to win this football game this weekend. And you got to go into your bye week with it on on a roll. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, And I think they will. I think they'll bounce back. I mean, this team doesn't lose two in a row very often. doesn't happen very often. They did early last year, but they tend to bounce back. Uh, Sean Payton's not going to have any trouble getting their attention this week after that egg was laid yesterday. And I think it's a good matchup for the Saints. Uh, I think they can give Heineke some issues. But they've got to get back to that formula they used in in New England. Uh, You know, I think they're going to – I said this before the year, J.D., this team's going to be in a lot of close games in the 20s. That's just how they're going to be. Yep. They're going to they're going to win games the way they did last year when Taysom was playing quarterback. If you remember, they were defensive oriented, pretty conservative, and I just think that's the formula that they've got right now. I don't see the enough explosive plays. They got a couple of them yesterday, but this offense just is more of a pop gun offense. It's not going to be uh, the, the high-flying Drew Brees days when they had Debra Henderson and Robert Meacham and Jimmy Graham and Sproles, uh, those days are over. And uh, this, this team's going to have to grind out a lot of close games. Unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of white knucklers for, for fans, I think. You know what this is, Dunk? This is the 93 Saints. I mean, it really, it's the Bobby Aver and Jameis Winston are a lot yeah. alike. Uh, the Saints backfield they had back then, a lot alike. Kamara's better than either one of those guys, but 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 they were pretty good too, and people don't remember the offensive line outstanding. The defense was incredible. Um, you had your your linebacking core was the best ever. It's hard to compare anybody to the Dome Patrol, but I mean I think our linebackers are, are are pretty good this year. Our secondary was was maybe better than average. I'd say this secondary is either average or better than average. We have a great pass rush. Um, although you haven't seen it the last couple of weeks. So to me, this team and the 93 Saints are so much alike, it's kind of scary. And if you get Will Lutz back, you, you know, you have great yeah, right, games. Right, right. And that, I know that was a big staple of those Saints teams with the Dome Patrol. They had such a great kicker. They could, they could lean on Morton Anderson. So I, I agree with you. I, I think they're very similar in the way they're playing. I think Sean Payton knows it. I know there's like this narrative going along right now. Uh, and I'm not sure I buy into it, but it seems to be that the latest narrative is that Sean Payton doesn't trust Jameis Winston and that he's calling conservatively. And I'm not necessarily going to buy into that. Uh, I think he's feeling him out. And I think, you know, he's trying to figure his quarterback out and learn more about it. He learns more about him each week. But I don't think it's a trust factor. I think it's more like this is how he feels like it's their best chance to win. Lean on that defense, that running game. And that offensive line with such a strength, but again, they're down two offensive linemen. Two, they're probably they're two, two of the three best offensive linemen. They're down, so uh, you know they're not going to be quite as dominant running the ball. We saw that in the second half yesterday. They didn't have quite the success that they had earlier. Jeff Duncan here on the Attitude Podcast. I'm Jim Derry, and um, I, I do want to touch on LSU and Tulane. It was just an awful weekend for. For the home crowd, I mean, it's bad enough 
that the Saints go lay an egg in the fourth quarter. Well, maybe they watched the LSU, maybe they had Coach O's game plan because they followed the exact same script, basically. And so you lose two games that you should have won this weekend. I mean, Tulane, I'm not sure what's going on with them. They, they were favored uh, against uh, UAB last week, and I believe they were favored against yeah. East Carolina this this week. Um, so, and they go lay an egg both times. So I don't know what's going on there. Um, but it, what is your – what do you see out of LSU and is it going to be just another one of those five and six and six type years and be lucky to go to a, a, a stinky bowl? Well, I think you talked about must win. I think this week's a must win for LSU. Oh, there's no question. When you go up to Kentucky, Kentucky's suddenly five and O oh, ranked 16th in the country and they're, they're legitimately good, good on defense. Yeah. yeah, they're good. Uh, they beat Florida, one of the bigger wins in program history. So they've got momentum. And I think they could be ripe, though, for a little bit of a letdown after you have a big emotional win like that. And LSU should be a desperate team, and they've got to win. I mean, J.D., their schedule coming up is crazy, like Florida, <laughs> Ole, Alabama, Ole Miss. Ole Miss. I mean, Arkansas. Texas A&M. Arkansas is no pushover. I mean, A&M, they've got to find wins everywhere they can get them, and this is one I think they've got to try and get this week. Um, and, and Ed Ogeron needs to get it, I mean, because uh, I think his seat's getting hotter each week, especially when you lose a game like that at home uh, where you're winning the whole game and just kind of fall apart down the stretch. I mean, he's got to, I think, get this program back on track. There's no excuse for LSU to be so poor in the offensive line. I mean, they should be able to recruit the best uh, offensive linemen in the country, and they can't run the ball at all. And that was obvious. I mean, Georgia State ran for 200-something yards, I think close to 300 yards on Auburn, and LSU had – I think 29 yards rushing. Uh, you're not yeah, going to win in the SEC insane. that way. Does Coach O make it through this year? Oh, oh, not, yeah, oh yeah, I think he not will. make it through the I year. Think he does, will. He, does he make it to next? Is he is he the coach when they they take the field next year? Well, I mean, I think we we're going to find out over these next few weeks. I mean, he, he can't have another 500 season and survive that. I don't I don't think Scott Wood Scott Woodward didn't hire Ed Ogeron and Scott Woodward is, uh, you know, builds a big-time – I mean, he likes to make big-time hires, splash hires. We saw him do that with Kim Mulkey. Uh, you know, I think he's uh, definitely going to be in the market for a coach if this thing doesn't turn around because he knows this is, the, this is the, the bread and butter of the athletic department, LSU football. And right now, if you look at the SEC West, uh, LSU is probably the most underachieving program in the SEC West considering the talent – that they have in the program. So Ogeron knows that. He's talked about it. Uh, but LSU football can't be losing these kind of games, these 50-50 games, and expect to, you know, survive in the SEC West. Was Joe Brady that important to this program? Well, I think it was Joe Brady and, and Dave Aranda, too. I mean, Dave Aranda was one of the best defense coordinators in college football, and as soon as he left – uh, I think the, the, the errors that Ed Ogeron's made is in putting together a staff, a quality staff. I mean, we see what happens in Tuscaloosa when Nick Saban loses these elite assistants and they go on to be head coaches or coordinators. I mean, he hires other elite assistants. Yeah. And that was an egregious mistake a year ago that Ed Ogeron brings in Bo Pelini and Scott Lenahan yeah. to replace those guys. And now you've got two unproven guys as well, uh, and I think that's a sign 
of the instability of the program because he couldn't get Freeman from Cincinnati. He goes to Notre Dame probably because the, he feels like Notre Dame's a more stable situation. That's a big red flag when he had to go to his sixth or seventh choice, our defensive coordinator. That it, it, It's a small fraternity, the coaching fraternity, and there's a reason people were turning down a lot of money to come coach at LSU. Why does LSU not – why are they not like the Clemsons and the Ohio States and the Alabamas of the world? Why do they win a national championship and then turn back into mediocre so quickly? Well, I think that's, that's Ed Ogeron's that falls on his table. And he, he did not replace the elite coaches that he lost. In my opinion, it was just a huge drop off in the, in the ability of, of the coaching staff and in the sec West. I mean, it's so competitive you got the best coaches in college football in that division. And that was just, uh, you know, he may never recover from that mistake. Uh, and, and, and he's still reeling from it, in my opinion, because the young uh, staff he's got is really struggled sometimes to match up when they played teams that are just as talented as them in UCLA and Auburn. Jeff Duncan here on the Datitude podcast. And last thing, I'm going to put you on the hot seat and I'm going to ask you for three predictions. First prediction, will the Pelicans have a winning record and will they go to the playoffs? Yeah, oh, yeah, I definitely, I'm definitely kind of on that train, and I think mainly because Willie Green is going to inject some, some much-needed energy into the program, and I think Zion Williams is finally taking some accountability and understanding that this is his team, uh, and I think he's going to put this team on his shoulders. I think he's just a generational talent, and uh, we're going to see a different – caliber player this year. I think he's in better shape. As long as he stays healthy, I think they definitely make the playoffs. I agree. And as, uh, as dysfunctional as this organization has been the last uh, few years, I do think they have the right guy. Um, he's a little young. It does, that does concern me. Um, but I do like what I see so far. And I think that um, I think they're going in the right direction. LSU, will they have, will they win seven games? I think that's what they're going to win. That's a record I think they're going to end up with, and I don't know if that's good enough for Ed Ogeron to hang on. I think that's right at the bottom of where Scott Woodward has a decision to make. I don't think they win seven games. I think they win five or six, and I agree. Um, I don't, and then that makes it easier. Then you don't have a decision to make. Then it's, it's easy to make it, and no one can blame you for making it. Will the Saints uh, – Twofold. Are the Saints going to beat the Bucks twice and win the division? No, they will not beat them twice, but I do think they make the playoffs. I think this team's a wild card team. I think that's the ceiling. Uh, I don't think they can win the Super Bowl, like you said. They don't have the uh, elite enough offense, but I think they can get in there and give some teams some trouble in the playoffs uh, because they're so well coached and they're so good on defense. That's the formula, but there's just too many holes right now in the offense for me to feel. You know, look look last year, JD. I mean, the the, the best offensive teams were the ones that won, made it to the Super Bowl. You got to be good on offense in today's modern NFL. And the Saints, uh, for whatever reason, just haven't been able to put it together the last few years offensively. The problem with making making it as a wild card is you look at the NFC West, and um, and I know it's early, but you know you got Arizona at four and zero, Rams uh, three and one. Um, and you look at the rest of the division, Seattle is, they get a big win yesterday. 
Uh, we don't know what's going to happen with San Francisco, but you know, there's a good chance that two of the wild cards will come from that division, which leaves what one for everybody else. So, I mean, it, it's going to be a, a tough year. I think it's going to take it's going to take at least ten wins, and it might take eleven to get a wild card. I'm not sure that this is an eleven win team. Yeah, look, they they've got to get these some of these issues corrected. Uh, there's no doubt about that. But I, I think they're talented, man. I mean, that defense I, I is agree. really good. I, I agree with defense you. Defense is good. They just they've got to get some of these guys back, and they got to get back to to plans. You know, the the formula that's the key for this team: bullying people in the trenches, winning up front, and that usually comes with energy and focus. We didn't see enough of that yesterday. Last word from Jeff Duncan in 30 seconds or less. Talk Saints fans off the ledge. That's what they need to hear. Well, like I said, it's to be reason for optimism, seeing the track record of this coaching staff in October, November. They're going to make the adjustments, and they will fix some of the issues. And I think their their lack of – their ability to avoid losing streaks, I think they've only had back-to-back losses like twice in the last five years. Uh, I just feel like they're going to bounce back and people are going to be – back into the carnival mode after they win in Washington this week. And you know what makes me feel better is I know you really believe that it's not just uh, it's not just talk. You really believe that the Saints are going to be a, are a good football team now and will be a good football team the rest of the season. I know you believe that. Yeah, 100%. And look, I, I mean, that thing got away from them yesterday, but uh, you can't overreact sometimes. I mean, I think you got to stay even keel and Sean Payton has a has a great ability to keep keep his team focused on, and kind of eyeing on the big picture. That's why they've got all these players getting ready to come back. They've been kind of very conservative with some of the injured players. Uh, and we, you got to have dudes sometimes, and, and they're missing some key dudes right now. You notice I waited to the very end before I hit the stop record button that uh, to say anything about the Louisville Slugs uh, season there. Um, you know, yeah. Uh, all that stuff you were talking back in April, uh, all those text messages you were sending out. Yeah, and you know what? I don't care about my fantasy team because my San Francisco Giants, 107 wins That's out of nowhere. That's out insane. of nowhere. They went all the way to the last game of the year to clinch it. It was insane. And what, uh, you know, for people that are just so focused on football, baseball has always been my favorite sport, but – this has been just an incredible baseball season, especially in the National League. And even in the American League, look what's happened with the Yankees and the Red Sox and the Blue Jays and the Mariners fighting to the last day and the Mariners are crying on the field. I mean, it, people, pay attention to baseball because it's been an outstanding season and it's going to be a just ridiculous playoff season. I got to admit, I am, I am very, very impressed by your San Francisco Giants and I give them a legitimate chance to win the World Series because they don't have anybody flashy. They just play hard-nosed baseball, and they win like three to one and just piss you off. Yeah. You look at their lineup, and you're like, how are they winning all these exactly. games? Exactly. Evan Longoria is still playing? <laughs> Buster Posey still playing? I know. And, they, and they, it's, it's mind-boggling. Like Brandon Belt had a good year, and uh, Crawford. Yeah, Brandon Belt and Brandon Crawford. <laughs> exactly. They've been around forever. Oh, uh, I just man. think, well, talking to our old friend Derek Gould, who's the best baseball beat writer there Agreed. is, right? Agreed. I asked Derek about the Giants, and he said they're just their manager and their system is just off the charts. He said they yeah. get every 
ounce out of the talent they've got. And yeah. they've got this analytics department. That's what the modern baseball, you know, I think it's where it's going. And this, the Giants are a perfect example of that. Well, when the Dodgers beat the Cardinals, which is going to happen in the wild card game, I can't wait to see the, the Dodgers Giants uh, divisional round series. It'll be fun. And I will be rooting for you, Mr. Duncan. You cannot root for the hated Dodgers. They're, they, it's time for them to go down. So we'll see what no, happens. I, I could not deal with that. Peter Kovacs will be insufferable. <laughs> There's no question. Jeff Duncan, thank you for joining the Datitude podcast, and we appreciate your candid take on, on the, our local teams here. Yeah, get off the Crescent City connection, people. They're going to be okay. Thanks, Jiggy. Talk to you later. See, it's not so bad after all. So if, if Dunk says it's okay... And he says, don't jump off the Crescent City Connection. All righty then. Um, look, tough, tough schedule coming up. I mean, it, like we said, got to beat Washington. It starts with the, with the football team. If you don't go three and two, um, you know, really, I was saying before the season, they kind of needed to go four and one. Um, but it is what it is now. They're two and two. You have to win this game. Uh you know, by come by week coming up, then Seattle and Tampa Bay, and coming up soon to the Cowboys, and they're playing a lot better. Um, you know, Atlanta's nothing to slouch about. We know how those games go. Buffalo's coming up on the schedule. It's brutal, man. Seattle at Seattle, it's brutal. So you better figure out how to beat the football team and Taylor Henneke. Or you're going to be in deep doo-doo and this is going to be a long season. So, And I don't think that it's going to be that way. I still I had the Saints over-unders at 9. I still think they're either right at the 9 or they're, they're over it and they go to the playoffs. It is going to be tough to go to the playoffs. We'll see how that goes. Uh, we're going to talk more about this tomorrow. On Tuesday, my guest will be Doug Mouton, sports uh, director at WWL-TV. And also my friend Peter Schwartz, who works for WFAN in New York, the Big Apple. He actually covers the New York Islanders. He's a huge Jets fan. But I wanted to get someone's take on how they're taking it in the Big Apple. How, how are things going up there? Are they all fired up? I know Jets fans probably aren't that fired up about the Giants. But, um, you know, he, again, he is a, uh, a guy that works at WFAN, and he's been working there quite a while, uh, a voice of New York, and we're going to have him on, and he's going to talk about that, and um, it should be a fun take. Uh, by then, we'll all be, we'll be fine, right? We'll all be fine. I mean, I said before the sun will come up tomorrow. It keeps coming up. In fact, the weather's supposed to be nice here in New Orleans, I believe, for most of the week, or the weekend coming up or something. i got to go... I, I missed the weather the last couple of days, but I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure, you know, the commercial I'm talking about, I'm pretty sure that uh, it is supposed to be a good week of weather. It is getting into October, um, and now is when everything is super important. So don't go chasing waterfalls and don't go jumping off of bridges. We'll be okay. Don't forget videos on bet.nola.com. Again, I'm about to record odds and ends on as I do every Monday with Zach Ewing and I think Devin Jackson coming on this week. Uh, Fantasy Roundup on Wednesdays with Zach and Spencer the Guru Urquhart and At The Book featuring Cashing In with Carville, Zach, Devin, Jackson, and myself. Also, if you want to be part of the show, email me at jderry or at jderry at theadvocate. That might help. At theadvocate.com or on Twitter at Jim Derry Jr. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. 
We hope you're enjoying it. Even on days like today, it'll all get better. On Tuesday, again, we'll have Doug Mouton and Peter Schwartz. And I want to thank Jeff Duncan for the long segment here. And, and it was I thought it was real important to have that. We're going to... Uh, we're going to be all be okay, and we're all going to do it together. And you know what? New Dads, you're even invited. So come along for the ride. I'm Jim Derry. This has been the Datitude Podcast, and we will see you tomorrow, my friends. Yes, 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 yes.